Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We're reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You may be seated. We've been now going through a consideration of the the gospel according to John. This is the the sixth week in doing it. Chuck gave the the overview. And then we've spent um, the last four Sundays um, considering the beginning part of John's um, writing. And in that, we have discussed that John's purpose in the presentation of this gospel is to show that Jesus is the Son of God who became the Lamb of God in order to take away the, the sins of the world. But that in and of itself is as well to undergird the unity of the church. Again, um, there was um, two different major groups that were coming and teaching falsehood to the early church. There were the, the Judaizers 
who were coming in and trying to place the Gentiles under the law. But then there was the other group that primarily would be more of a Greek concept. But you can see some of this even with the, the Jewish, like Kabbalah and stuff like that, okay, um, where there's a, the Jewish spiritualism, where there was Gnosticism. And, uh, and so this concept of Gnosticism was that there was a special knowledge that you had to have. And once you attained this special knowledge that you became somebody, and then they began to teach this dualism between the flesh and the spirit, and that whatever you did in your flesh, it didn't matter because your flesh is dead, and when, one day you're going to die, and your spirit is that would be with God, and so you can do whatever you want in the flesh because it doesn't really matter. And so those were both false teachings. And so John is dealing with that, and primarily living in the city of Ephesus at the time, he's dealing a lot with, in this writing, um, with the Gnostics. Okay, and so we'll see again that as we play out more and more and more as we as we look into this thing. But but John then seeking to deal with this unity of the church realizes that he needs to to shore up the church and who Jesus really is, that he is the son of God who became flesh in order that he would become the, the lamb of God, in order that he could make the perfect payment for our sins on the cross he'd become the Lamb of God, the sin sacrifice for us, who would be raised from the dead um, in order for us to be saved. Over the past four weeks then, as we looked at John chapter 1 and chapter 2, we've seen, again, John make some of these very clear statements regarding who Jesus is. Again, the, it didn't take long. Took, took a shot across the bow at the, at the Jewish people right off the bat in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or if you remember from the Greek, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. Okay, And so it's actually, in the Greek, it's intensified. It's a definition of who God is, not a definition of who the Word is. God was the Word. Okay, But then we saw as well that he's the Messiah of God, he's the Son of God, he's the Lamb of God. We're still in his, his conversations with um, Nathaniel, that his omniscience, and that he is the way to God, because he would be the, the, the ladder where the angels were ascending and descending upon him. Last week, as we considered the water being turned into wine and then the cleansing of the temple, we saw that Jesus displayed the creative power over nature, that he was able to, to turn water into wine um, at the drop of a hat. He then claimed ownership of the temple. Again, as a remember, remi- reminder, why did he claim ownership of the temple? Say again, it's my father's house, but let's go deeper than that, okay? Whose temple is it? It's the temple of who? Give me a name. Don't just say God. Yahweh. Yahweh. Who is Jesus? He's Yahweh. He's Yahweh in the flesh, okay? And again, we don't have time to go into that, but I can show you that from Isaiah 48 and from the prophet of Zechariah. He is Yahweh who became flesh. And so it's not just his father's house, but it's also his house. That's exactly right. Okay. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. But it, so in the context, then he then claimed power over death because he said to them, they said, give us a sign. And he says, okay, you want a sign? Here's your sign. You destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll build it back up. But they thought he was talking about the physical temple that was there, but he was talking about his own body. And that's where the disciples, they got it after the fact. That when he raised again from the, on the third day, they said, oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about. This is the temple of God. Okay, And so we're told as well in that passage then, in the cleansing of the temple, that now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name because when they saw the signs which he did. So 
Brazos, you talked about the passage from later on. Where they saw the signs and they still didn't believe. But many did believe. Okay, And that's, we're going to talk about one of those many um, this morning. A guy named Nicodemus. Okay, And you can say what you want about Nick. Okay, And that's what we call him today, right? You can say what you want about him. You can say, well, he came at nighttime. You came at... But I want to submit to you that he what? He came. There were a lot of rulers and leaders, Brazos, like your testimony, who didn't believe, who just categorically rejected and denied. But Nicodemus, and I say Nick because there was a, um, a show last year during COVID that they did for free um, about at Easter time, and it was a, one of those sight and sound things, and they had Nick and Joe. Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea, and I liked it because it was it brought us into because you know, um, I, I can't remember if it was Joe saying to Nick or Nick saying to Joe. Well, you, I think it was I think it was Joe saying that. Well, you know, Nick, he's going to come in somebody's lifetime, and I'll never forget the line because I loved it because we go fat, dumb, and happy on our on our journey. Could you imagine? Like like Brazos said in his testimony, I mean, could you imagine? Here he is, plain color in front of you. But it doesn't match with what our ideas were. And so we're going to talk about Nicodemus, a conversation with Nicodemus. I love this conversation because Nicodemus, I mean, he's, he's being thrown for a loop. This is not matching up with what he had been taught. And yet he's seeing the proof in front of him. And he doesn't know how to respond to this. So he comes to Jesus by night. And in it, we're going to see some pretty clear teaching regarding God's provision of salvation. But I want to submit to you that there's a whole lot more than we're going to talk about today. There's a lot of profound truths that are here. Now, hopefully, I, I can just kind of, I don't want to say um, tickle your ears, because that's a bad statement from, from the, the Bible. But that I can maybe poke you a little bit prod you a little bit that you're going to want to go back I, I, I there's no more exciting testimony for me than for someone to said I, that i said something and it was just an offhand comment no i mean because that passage he talked about was just an offhand statement and then someone goes back and the holy spirit's using it to cause them to study so that you do that okay so jesus is talking to nicodemus and nicodemus wants to know a particular thing what does nicodemus want to know what's, what's it say here in john 3 well, it's not what he asks. He, he, that's not what he asks first. I mean, you're right, 100%. That's the question we're going to go to, okay? But what, is, what does he want to do? He wants to get saved? Well, that, we're getting there. I want to know who you are. I want to, is, is this real? I, I mean, I, I want, this is exciting to me, I want truth. First Timothy 2. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If you don't want the truth, you'll never get saved. Nicodemus wanted to know truth. I've said this numerous times, and this sounds kind of weird coming from a pastor, right? If you can show me that the triunity of God is unbiblical, I'm willing to, to, to get rid of it. Every time a Mormon comes to my door, every time a Jehovah Witness comes to my door, I go back and I check it out. I mean, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to show him why Jesus is God. But I want to know what truth is. Because if I'm not walking in the way of truth, 
I'm not pleasing to God. And I want to know the truth. I really believe that's what Nicodemus wants to know. He wants to know the truth. He wants, he wants to know, is this guy for real? Are you the one we're looking for? Almost like John said later, are you the one we're looking for or should we look, be looking for somebody else? You know, Nicodemus is just kind of coming. And so Jesus, though, knows his real heart issue. Make sense? He's coming because he just wants to know. But Jesus turns around. Look, this is kind of cool. He says, um, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered. I don't remember hearing a question there. Okay? But there was one. And Jesus knew it, right? So Jesus answered and said to him, Moses, surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Because Nicodemus understood that at the core of the truth is the what? The kingdom of God. And so Jesus launches out this statement. So now the first question we have, right, is that question. How can someone be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? So this explanation of being born again comes from then a response to this question. How can someone be born when he is what? Old. I mean, Jesus just told you, you need to be born again. Take it out of the context of of you understanding all this Baptist jargon. Again, we're not a Baptist church, but you get what I'm saying, right? You know, you must be born. We're going to sing you must be born again at the end. I love that song. Anyways, so nobody else knows it probably. Justin didn't even know it, you know? So I'm going to sing a solo. But anyways, but I love the song. Okay? And, but if you didn't know what he was saying, and you're Nicodemus, what did you just hear? Say what? Yeah. You got to be born. And so Nicodemus comes back with a natural response. I don't get this, dude. How can I, being old, enter into my mother's womb a second time? This, it's not going to happen this way. I love it. Jesus comes back and says, first, you need to be born. Okay, you say, what's AOR? Again, that means aorist. This is an important part. Aorist is past tense. Okay, so it's a past tense word. It's a punctiliar past tense word. So it's not an imperfect. You say, well, what does that mean? An imperfect is a past tense word that has a continuing process. Okay, it's done, it's completed, but it was a continual process. This is a punctiliar moment in the past. You need to be birthed a water. Did that happen once for you? You all got to say yes, come on, because you're sitting here. Now, unless you were C-section, right? You say, well, no, actually, I was Caesarean. But, you know, you, the reality is you still, even if you were cut out, you, you're born of the what? The water, right? There was a moment in time when you were birthed. You were in the water. You were birthed. Equally, then, there's going to be a moment in time when you're going to be birthed of the Spirit. But then he goes on and he gives a little bit more detail. That which has been birthed, now it's mine stated just a little bit differently than the New King James. Because I'm bringing in the perfect sense. Because this is a perfect. And that is a perfect is a past action that has a continuing result. Best illustration, Jesus is on the cross. His final word. Final word. We take it as his final words. In the Greek, it's one word. Tetelestai. It is finished. It's a perfect you should be glad 
that it's a perfect and not an aorist. Because it's a past action that has a continuing result. It isn't just finished in the past, but it's finished now. There's no payment that ever, 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 say it numerous times, needs to be ever made again. When he died, he crucified your sin. Your sin is destroyed on the cross. Even though you play with it, even though you fight with it, I promise you, that just as that lamb is killed upon the altar, Jesus was the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. It's gone. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that you need to reckon yourself as dead to sin. Because it's a fact. So, that which has been birthed by the flesh is flesh. Are you still flesh? You are. Isn't it amazing? I mean, you haven't changed, have you? evolution hasn't worked in your life you haven't become a tree you haven't become anything else you haven't you know you still flesh equally then jesus says that which has been birthed of spirit what is spirit you can't lose it you cannot become unhuman do you get it this is a beautiful illustration you cannot become unspiritual you can't do it because you didn't choose to birth yourself. How many of you made a decision to say, you know what, I think I want life, and, and, and I want to be born? Let me think. I'm going to pick Anna. I'm so glad that Anna chose uh, Marcia and I to be, be her mom and dad. You know, it was really kind of cool. You know, when one day, all of a sudden, boom, there's Marcia. She's pregnant. I was like, whoa, how'd this happen? Man. Well, you know, Anna decided that she just wanted to be born. And, you know, she wanted to have a human body. And she decided she wanted to be in our family. Now, you're laughing at me. You should be. Or if you're not, you should be laughing at me. Okay? This is a, cause it's a stupid. We don't think that way. None of you made a decision to be born. You just were. And once you were born, you couldn't become not human. When we are born of the Spirit, you can't lose it. You can't become unspirit. If, if that makes, I, I'm a math major, so I love logic. I love Boolean logic. I love the, this and not that and that kind of stuff. This is a total Boolean statement here. You know, you, you cannot not become this. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. Okay, you're there. It's the truth. Boom. This is a tautology. Anybody know what a tautology is? <gasps> Somebody's got to know what a tautology is. It's a toads. No, no. A tautology. A tautology is a statement that is always true. Period. It's always true. It's a boy in logic statement. And so it's always, always true. This is a tautology. It's always true. It can never become untrue. If you're born of the flesh, you will be flesh. If you're born of the spirit, you will be spirit. I want you to think about that. I want you to, I'm not, I've got time to keep going on with that, but I really want you to play with that one, okay? And just think about what that all means. So now we get into the evidence of being born again. Jesus goes on and says to him, he says, he says, do not marvel, verse 7, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. How many of you have ever seen the wind? You never saw the wind. You see things in the wind being blown by the wind. You see trees moving. And Jesus says you hear the wind. But honestly, let's think about it. Do you honestly hear the wind? What do you hear? You hear the vibrations of the, of the wind 
blowing against something. Okay? You see the effects of the Spirit. Now, this is a fun thing. In the Hebrew, and also in the Greek, the word for wind is also the word for Spirit. So, ruach, in the Hebrew, is the word for Spirit. It's actually the breath that comes from outside of you. Okay? You have a neshama that's within you, but every time you breathe out, you lose your neshama, so you should die. But, you, but God has his ruach, which you breathe in. So it's the breath from outside. It's also the wind. It's also the spirit. Okay? In, the, in, the, in the Greek, it's pneumos. Okay? So like we have pneumatic tolls. Okay? It's air. That's pneumos. It's the wind. It's the breath. Okay? That's there. So it's kind of cool concept. It comes right on through that oriental thought process into the Greek as well. Okay? So you don't see the wind. You don't see the spirit. But you see the what? You see the effects. Now, isn't that kind of fun? Okay. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, faith without, or I'm sorry, that's right. That's James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. Hebrews chapter 1 says, faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Let's think about that. It's the evidence. That's what we're talking about here. If the Holy Spirit is living in you, then you should be being blown around. You should be being moved in such a way that people don't see the Spirit, but they see what? They see the effects of the Spirit. I promise you, if you talk to my family, not this family, but my greater family, and ask to compare Bob 40 years ago to Bob now, they're going to tell you that there's been an effect. Now, they all know the Lord so at this point, and so... They'll understand it was of the Lord. But when they didn't understand it, the Holy Spirit and they didn't have that, they would be kind of bewildered, okay? And so there are some others, just other parts of the family as well that don't know the Lord. And they're still bewildered by it because they see the change. I mean, for years, I believe that many who knew Marcia and I were waiting for this thing to wear off. Because it's just, you know, just, that's a fad. It's a fad. And if it's a fad, what we'll do? It'll wear off, okay? Jesus talks about that with the sower of the seed. But if it's true, if it sinks deep into good soil, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to work. So we have the effect of the Spirit. We have the desires of the Spirit. Turn with me real quick to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning of verse 1, we read, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an if-then statement that's kind of flipped around. That's a then-if statement. So let's put it the other way. If you have tasted of the grace of God, then as a newborn babe what will you do? You'll desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How many, I understand that there are types of births that don't go well, but as a general rule, like an overwhelming general rule, okay? We've had seven kids, okay? Six births, well, sort of, six and a half births, however you want to look at that one. And um, anyways, but every other than the twins, when she couldn't grab the baby right away, right? 
every one of those times, Marcia breastfed, she brings the baby up, even while the umbilical cord is still on. That boggled my brain. The baby wanted to what? The baby wanted to nurse. How did the baby know? I mean, never had to do that before. I mean, I know some of you women think like maybe it's sucking inside or whatever, but it, it, it's not doing it, right? It's getting all of its nutrients through the what? Umbilical cord. So you'd think that if the umbilical cord's still on, I mean, I can almost justify it. Okay, the umbilical cord's cut. Uh, maybe there's some process. Just kind of, but even while the umbilical cord was still attached, this baby's already got the concept down pat. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I was there for the births. I never saw a nurse over at the warming uh, table say, okay, honey, at this point, you need to start doing this on your own. See, you've only been being nursed, got your nutrients through this little tube thing, but now it's got to come through this part of your body, okay? So let's go, let's do this. Come on, you can do this. Did you ever see, I mean, you're laughing. I mean, they don't do it. The baby just naturally wants to eat. If it's born of the flesh, it knows it wants to eat of the flesh. As a newborn babe in Christ, you ought to desire the pure milk of God's word. I don't understand someone who calls themselves a believer and has no desire to read God's word. It just, I'm Nicodemus the Knight on that one, okay? I mean, I, it does, it, it's clear. It makes sense. You want to be fed. You, you want to eat. It just naturally is there. Well, then it goes on. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Because you guys get this. I mean, these illustrations are like, like boom, ew, like, whoa, yeah, it's really here. So the end of Hebrews chapter 5. And that page doesn't want to open for me. Here we go. Hebrews 5, the very end, beginning of verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be what? Teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He is a babe or baby. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How many of you still are looking to go home? I mean, because I know some of you are like, oh, how long is he going to preach? And oh, it's getting close to lunchtime. I can't wait to go home and get my Gerber stage one. What, 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 what little jar are you going to pull out today? Are, are you going to pull out the, the, the peas and ham all mixed together? Oh, yuck. Oh, oh. <laughs> Can I confess to you that one of the worst things, moments of hypocrisy I've ever had in my life is trying to get my kids to eat Mashed up green beans. I mean, I don't even like them unmashed, man. And i got to be forced to give my kids smashed up green beans. I mean, I want to give them the, the cobbler, you know? Like, yeah, hey, let's have some good stuff. I'm, you're going to be my kid. Anyways, and so, um, but think about it. None of you are looking forward to going home and pulling out the little ice thing, you know, and pouring it into, oh, maybe I'll use a little bit of grape juice in it this time and we'll have grape mush. But you know what? Sadie doesn't care. Sadie's looking forward to having some, to moving on to the Gerber stage one. Because she's only got milk right now. 
And actually, I can even go deeper into this since I got seven kids and I've watched this whole process. The reality is in the first couple weeks, they're only getting the, the four milk. But you women know, if you've nursed, there's a point where the, the baby decides that there's even something more than just that, that, that watery substance. And they want it, and all of a sudden they latch on, and you know the moment when they latch on, and they start drawing deeper. Well, then there comes a point when even drawing deeper is not satisfying. They want what you're eating. I mean, it's like, why don't I get some of that? You know? And you're like, well, you can't chew the steak, you know, so... A baby bird can't eat a worm. So what does the baby bird eat? Chewed up worms. Mm. Isn't that some fun? Do you know what you're getting today? You're getting chewed up steak. I've been studying all week and for a couple weeks for this. And all you're getting is my regurgitations. Doesn't that sound appealing? Isn't that exciting? Wouldn't you rather eat the steak? Than eat somebody else's eating steak? Do you believe you have the Holy Spirit living in you like I have the Holy Spirit living in me? Is the Holy Spirit's job to lead you into all truth? Is it the Holy Spirit's job to, to remind you of the teachings of Christ? Is it the Holy Spirit's job to convict you of righteousness, judgment, and sin? I mean, I get that God wants us together and everybody has a part of the body, and I'm not special. God has just allowed me the privilege of teaching. That, it's all I am. What a blessing it is for me. I would... I, wouldn't, I don't want to do anything else but this. But you don't need me. You oughtn't need me. That's what Hebrews 5 says. By this time, you ought to be what? If you've been saved a period of time, now some of you may be newly saved or whatever, and you need someone to be nursing you and to, to feeding you and to teaching you. But some of you have been saved quite a long time, and you shouldn't need somebody spooning food into your mouth. When it comes to testimony time, I'm not shaming at all. I don't mean it that way. Really, please don't take it that way. But we ought to have men standing up, proclaiming what God has taught them in his word. Because it's a vibrant part of your relationship. Because you want to continually grow. Not like this. Anyways, but like this. Think about it. So, desires of the Spirit. Well, that leads then into the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you have this great desire for the word of God and you're being fed and you're being, you got all these nutrients coming within you and you're growing and you're learning, guess what's going to start happening? Like we talked about in Sunday school. If you weren't in Sunday school, you missed it, okay? But from Galatians chapter 5 is the fruit of the Spirit, okay? And the idea is you go to my house, I have my little bitty orchard in the backyard. It's not as big as it used to be. But you go to the one tree and you see little purple things on it. You know it's a plum tree you see this other one has got this fuzzy stuff that's kind of orange and pink and red it's a peach tree you go to these other ones and they got these glossy green things kind of looking like a heart shape almost they're apples they're granny smith apples yeah they're bitter anyways marcia likes bitter apples anyways for me the golden delicious apple man melt in your mouth juice coming all over you now that's my kind of apple but you know when you look at those trees wow that's a peach tree Oh, that's a plum tree. Oh, that's an apple tree. Why? Because it's being developed from its roots and coming through the tree out to the branches and all of a sudden there's fruit. It just happens. Just happens. I can't force an apple to grow on an apple tree. I can't force a peach to grow on a peach tree. I can't force a plum to grow on a plum tree. It just happens. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Self-control. That's the anchor of it all. When someone has been born again, being birthed not only of water, but also of the Spirit, they have been. It's a perfect sense. It's continuing to happen. The Holy Spirit now is residing in them and doing this work in them. They will begin to produce fruit. This process begins to happen. They're going to have this faith, which is going to give them a desire to read God's word. And as they're reading God's word, their life's just going to start changing. It's just going to happen. You got family, kin, who live a distance away from you? Do you ever have, they have kids? When you go visit them, and, and you, all of a sudden you look at the child, and they're not a what? child anymore like they've just grown three or four years since you've seen them last and you're like wow this is amazing but you don't if you were living there the parents didn't see it because it was happening just so gradually throughout but you see the massive change that's how it plays out just as it is in natural birth so it is in the spiritual birth i don't have time to get into the gifts of the spirit we could talk about the gifts of the spirit Just as you were gifted naturally when you were born, so when you become born again, God gifts you supernaturally, spiritually. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, to look at the fruit of the the, the gifts of the Spirit that are there. They're given by Him. I think God gave me the gift of interpretation of languages. Man, I had five years of German. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Yeah. Ich spreche eine keine Deutsch. Ich habe fünf Jahre in der Schule, drei Jahre in der Hochschule, Elementary, ein Jahr in der Hochschule, und, no, sorry, ein Jahr in Elementary, drei Jahre in der Hochschule, ein Jahr in der Universität. Now, is anybody else under, well, other than you? Does anybody, you, you get it a little bit? I know you better, Rodney. You only learned as much as you needed to learn. Okay? I'm sure bit that's right. That's right. You're beautiful to me. Anyways, so, but the point is, that took me five years to be able to work on that and say that. You get it? I had five years of German, and I just gave you the fullness of my knowledge, okay? Man, when I went to seminary, I ate up Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. I loved it. And I love it. Just, I love it. But don't ask me to speak it. Every time, Gerard's not here. He's a Hebrew linguist. I speak Hebrew. He cringes. You know, I had a Greek guy who was in the previous church I pastored, a real Greek guy, okay? Every time I said a Greek word, he just cringed. So, so like I, I'm teaching Justin Greek right now, right? And what have I told you, Justin? Don't worry about, Don't worry about the pronunciation. Try, try to get it, try to get it, but nobody else, is, nobody else here is going to know what you said anyway. So, and I don't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't really matter, right? Whether you said it exactly right, understand what it means. That's the important part. So God gave me this gift, I think, of interpretation of languages. Okay? I think it's a spiritual gift. I didn't have it clearly before I got saved. But now after I got saved, it's there. Okay? So evidence of being born again. This is exciting, though. So those are all about that. But now it's agent. Well, you know who the agent is. Who's the agent of the salvation provision of God? No. Jesus. 
Jesus is the, but no, that's good. The Holy Spirit is a gift that we get after the fact. And you're right that the Holy Spirit, God does use the Holy Spirit. But the actual payment of it is Jesus himself, yeah. So, so the mosaic illustration, okay, is where Jesus goes. He says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up. So he says, this is, a, this is an illustration, this is an understanding. So what do we know about the mosaic? You can go look at this one later. We're not going to read it right now. Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9. Remember, they were grumbling, okay? They were sinning. They had a sin of unthankfulness to God. They, they did, God was giving them mammon, God, manna. God was giving them um, quail, right? God was providing water. And they still were what? Complaining. They're still murmuring, still complaining. And so God said, enough's enough. Now it's time to, to pull out the paddle. But the paddle was in the form of serpents, okay? Sidewinders, I don't know what they were. They were in the desert. You can picture whatever kind of uh, snake it might have been. But all of a sudden, just as they were, he was providing all this quail, just like he was providing all this bread, guess what he provided? A bunch of snakes, <laughs> okay? I mean, you don't think, you, we don't like to think, oh, God, didn't, God did that, okay? All of a sudden, there's these snakes, and people were being bit, right? And so fiery serpent came in, and they would die, Okay? I mean, they, they literally got died. They, they bit eastern rattlesnake, whatever you want to call it, copperhead. You know, they got, and they didn't have the, the cure, and they, they died. But then God gave them a what? He gave them the cure. Told Moses to make a brazen, a brazen serpent, hang it on a, a rod, a pole, and stick it in the middle of the camp. Now, this is important. Pay attention. I don't mean that wrong to you. Just think about this. I want you to think, because sometimes we forget about this. What did the people have to do to be cured? They had... How? Stand in front of it. Not stand on the outside of the camp and turn toward the middle of the camp and say, okay. But literally, they had to get up off their duff. They had to go into the middle of the camp and they had to look at that bronze serpent and then they would live they had to do so they had to do exactly what god prescribed exactly what god prescribed they couldn't twist it to their own desires and their own designs do you get it we love to do that we love to take god's word and torque it just a little bit but i'm doing that don't we do that let me watch our kids do that right with disobedience oh well you said no i'm doing that you know don't cross the line okay I'm not crossing that line. I'm as far to that line as I can get, but I'm not crossing it. Do you get it? It's still a, a sin of unthankfulness and rebellion that's there. So they had to do exactly what God said, and God said, go in. Now, the sad thing is that that symbol of forgiveness became an idol to them. They called it Nehushtan. You can go, you can look this up, okay? But they began then to bow down and worship Nehushtan. And Nehushtan literally was that, that rod with the bronze serpent on it. And it was Hezekiah. Hezekiah? I think it was Hezekiah who destroyed it. Hezekiah. That means it came through David. It came through Solomon. It came through all those kings. It was finally Hezekiah said, wait, this is a stumbling block. It's got to be destroyed. Some have talked about the cross in that way. Because the cross can become a stumbling block in that way. Some so have Jesus hanging on the cross. Just like the serpent hanging on the pole. And they bow down to it. 
Again, I'm not picking. I'm not picking. But that thing that has no power, that's just, for me, that's a beautiful remembrance of what my God has done for me. But he ain't on it. Does it make sense? And we've got to be careful about making the provision of God, whatever it is, into an idol. We can make our families into idols. We can make our homes into idols. We can make our cars and our boats and whatever you want into idols. The blessings of God, we turn around and we do something else with. But God gave them this. So, John 3.16 then says, and you all can quote this, right? For God so loved the world. And when we read it, we read, because we're English, and we read this, we read, for God so loved the world. It doesn't mean that. That word so in the Greek is the word hutos. Literally, better translation, for God in this manner loved the world. It doesn't mean like, so God in this manner, because he just gave the illustration. As a serpent was held up in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. For God in this manner loved, this wor- loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the messianic realization then is, first of all, again, our sin. All of sin then fall short of the glory of God. The curse, the wages of sin is death. Okay? So we are all condemned. We all deserve to go to hell. But God, again, in the same way, gave us a cure. We got our sin, our situation, and our salvation in the same way as they had the, the, the cause, the curse, and the cure. That God has done the exact same thing for us. And he's provided, then, the means for us to be saved, to be delivered from the penalty of our rightful, rightful condemnation. Romans 10, 13. Whoever then calls upon the name of the Lord, upon the name of Yahweh, will be saved. If you look and live, you will be saved. But you need to look and live in what? By faith. Again, if you didn't believe that, that, that looking at that, that bronze serpent would heal you, what would you do? Say, ignore it. You'd probably go to every doctor you could and find every um, natural cure you could, right? Isn't that what happens in the world, right? Because I'm, I'll find my own way of what? Getting to heaven. I don't want to have to just accept what he's done. But you've got to do it like God said, because it's his. It's his to give. It's not ours to put him in our box. So it's application. The decision to receive or reject. What's hanging in the balance? The salvation of your souls. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've got a decision to make. You either believe it or you reject it. You receive it or you reject it. The difference is your eternity. And so I'm just teaching again. We're going through John, right? So this is just, this is where we're at in the book of John. John chapter 3. Okay, so um, not trying to step on toes. This is just a fact. This is what God has declared. It's this or that. And so, verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Well, that leads into this motivation that comes next then. And this is the commandment that light has come into the world and men loved what? 
darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does, he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So, the motivation is to, to repent, change the way you think, or rebel. Once you come to understand what God has declared, it really comes down to this. I'm either going to do what God said, I'm going to go to the middle of the camp, and I'm going to look and live, or I'm going to rebel against it, and I'm going to die of my snake bite. Salvation is no different. Flesh, spirit. I gave you a, an illustration of the flesh. Now we come to the spirit. Make sense? Just as they were dying physically, so they're dying spiritually. It comes down to it. Repent, again, is the word metanoia. Change the way you think. Not change the way you act. Change the way you think. That's epistrepho. Epistrepho is to turn, go the other way. But the word repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, is the word metanoia. Change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, you ultimately change the way you act. So you can hear it and respond in repentance, or you can hear it and rebel. Most of us rebel because it's a revelation of our what? Of our heart. Men loved darkness. Can I tell you that's the biggest battle, even for a believer? Why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do? Because the old man still is there alive and kicking. He's dead. But I allow him to stay alive. And my flesh leans toward what? Darkness. But in my spirit, with the Holy Spirit loving within me, I hunger after the things that God hungers for. And so as we talk about Sunday school, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do? I find that there's a war within me to want to do what the flesh is in my body, but to want to do, I'm sorry, that's from Romans chapter 7, same concept there, where the, 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 the lust, the, the flesh and the spirit lust against one another. Uh, therefore, we cannot do the things that we would. That's Galatians 5. And so that there's this battle that goes on within me. But as the Holy Spirit is working his work in me, gradually, and sometimes not so gradually, changes are being made in my life. That all of a sudden, I don't want the things of darkness. That I'll have this desire. Those who want to know the truth, think about it. You're willing to allow the what? The ockiness to be revealed in you. Because you want it gone. You want it cleansed. That's why I could stand up here. I mean, I don't mean it's pridefully. I don't. People, how can you stand up there and talk about you know your life and porn and all that kind of stuff, dude? Because I want it gone. I, I want all that stuff of my flesh, of my past. I want to be like Jesus, more and more and more. And when we try to pretend we're something that we're not, we're acting just like the world does. We're trying to hide in the darkness. But as you read his word, and that fruit of the Spirit comes more and more in your life, you want more and more light. You want it exposed. Because you want more like Jesus. So, who is Jesus to you? Is he God in the flesh who died for you? Is he the payment of your sins? 
Have you recognized your need for salvation and gone to Jesus for the cure? Now, again, I can look around and say, oh, everybody's saved. I mean, da-da-da-da. But, you know, I don't know your hearts. And one day, you're not going to stand before Bob. You're going to stand before God. And I'm not going to stand before you. I'm going to stand before God. So it doesn't matter if you think I'm saved. It only matters if God knows me. Does that make sense? And that's all that matters the other way around. So you have to ask yourself that question. Do you have a greater desire for sin or for the things of God? You say, well, I, I know I'm saved. Well, where are you at in the process? By this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be having a desire for God's word. And if you don't have a desire for God's word, I think it's the first place to get on your knees and start talking about it. God, I know that I believe in you, but there's a problem. Give me a desire for your word. Help me to hunger and thirst for your righteousness more than I hunger and thirst for anything else in this world. I dare you to pray it. Because he'll answer. You may not like the answer. It may make you feel uncomfortable. He may start taking things away from you. But if it's what you really, really want, I promise you it's according to the will of God. And we know from 1 John chapter 5, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, then we will have that which we ask of him. You want name and claim it? I'll give you biblical name and claim it. You ask according to his will. You ask to be sanctified. You ask to be purified. God will answer. The question is, do we love darkness more than we love light? Is there then a need to change the way you think and ultimately change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy to us. You alone are the most high God. There is no other God but you. And you loved us so much that you made a way for us to be brought into a right relationship with you. I praise you for that, Lord. Help me, help us to have a hunger and thirst for you, to desire the pure milk of your word, Lord, and then to go on even to the deeper things, to, to be able to eat the meat of your word. Lord, to be applied, not to, to be relying upon other people teaching us, but Lord, that we are relying upon you 100% fully, looking to your Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us into all truth, because that's your will. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in my life, each of our lives individually, but Lord, us as a body as well. Lord, that we would be like a city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid that others might observe what you're doing in and through us and that they might glorify you. In Christ's name, amen.